0: And with Go, you can just move things around, rename them, uh, simplify, whatever. And you know that if your are binary built, at least the syntax and the semantics of this change will just work. And this, for us, as we go through this constant you know, refactoring, like for us, we started with one pattern of like monorepo, single service, which one of commands. Now we're kind of slowly migrating to monorepo with multiple services, being able to move code around, make sure it works without having to worry about like months of like, pre-testing, it just makes things a lot easier for us as a startup, where, as Simon and Adam said, you are constantly iterating, learning of better ways of implementing certain patterns and all of those things. It's something that I'm very glad that we picked Go over something like, you no, know, like like descriptive languages, like Node, like Python, and they're great languages. I don't want people to get an idea that, you know, everything else sucks and Go just works. It's just that for this specific scenario, Go has made our life as a startup a lot easier.
1: Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at LaunchDarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at O'Reilly. Many of you know O'Reilly for their animal tech books and their conferences, but you may not know they have an online learning platform as well. The platform has all their books, all their videos, and all their conference talks. Plus, you can learn by doing with live online training courses and virtual conferences, certification practice exams and interactive sandboxes and scenarios to practice coding alongside what you're learning. They cover a ton of technology topics, machine learning, AI, programming languages, DevOps, data science, cloud, containers, security and even soft skills like business management and presentation skills. You name it. It is all in there. If you need to keep your team or yourself up to speed on their tech skills, then check out O'Reilly's online learning platform. Learn more and keep your team skills sharp at O'Reilly.com slash changelog. Again, O'Reilly.com slash changelog.
2: Let's do it. Let's go time.
3: Welcome to GoTime, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. We record the show live on YouTube each and every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern, 7 p.m. UTC. Subscribe at youtube.com slash changelog to be notified when we go live. And don't forget to follow FM on Twitter and vote on our unpopular opinion polls. This is very important stuff. Okay, let's do this. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and
4: welcome to Go Time. So today's episode is going to be a little different. I'm joined by not one or two guests, but four guests, and we're going to be discussing building startups with Go. So I'll just get jumping right into the guests. Our first guest is Josh Curl, co-founder and CTO of High Touch. How are you today, Josh? I'm doing great. Awesome. Our next guest is Adam uh, Kozak, co-founder and CTO of SegMed. How are you, Adam?
2: I'm pretty good. Thanks.
4: I realized like halfway through saying your name that it's Koshek. And I was like, ooh, I like tried to correct. I didn't quite do (laughs) it. You did a great job. I apologize for that. Uh, Next is Simon White, co founder and CTO of Rebank. How are you, Simon? Very well, thank you. All right. And last, we have Ramiro Berriesa, co founder and CEO of Octeto. Ramiro, you're the only CEO
0: here. Does that scare you? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, but I think I I remember enough coding to, you know, fend off all the sales jokes. (laughs) All right. I know. uh,
4: Early on, you probably did some coding, I'm assuming, so I don't know if you do now, but I know that pretty much any startup founder early on is doing everything, so uh, I'm sure you were involved, and right now, I really want to talk a lot about the early stages, because I think that's where, I don't know, for some reason, Go doesn't seem like the most popular choice all the time, but it does seem like it's gaining popularity.
0: Interesting, yeah. Uh, That was uh, definitely... All right, so for everybody listening, uh,
4: the company names, if you missed them, I'm gonna link them in changelog.com website. So if you go to changelog.com slash go time, search for episode 175, I'll make sure links to all the companies and everybody on the episode is there. All right, uh, I wanna start off easy, hopefully easy. Uh, <laughs> why did you guys choose to use Go at your startup? Like what was the motivation behind that?
0: Yeah, for us, there was a dual motivation. One is we, um, we were using Go before, both me and my co-founders at other, our previous companies, and, and we saw how, one, it was like how well it performed. For us, it was like, hey, it's an easy way to get started, not worry about performance for the very long time, and just be able to focus on you know that MVP and, and making sure it just, you just know, offer the functionality we wanted to build without having to worry about, will it run everywhere? Will it scale? And all those things. That, for us, was probably the number one motivation.
4: Okay.
5: I think for Rebank it was definitely around the simplicity of the language I really liked and the ability to onboard engineers work in a really simple way and speed obviously but as well with what I'd call high risk apps like finance, medicine, anything where the integrity of data is is really key, type safety was was something that we liked about it as well, which was really important for us. So, yeah. You didn't want
2: to break things with your bank.
5: Yeah, don't, that doesn't usually go down very well with, with customers. So, yeah, we,
2: we try not to do that. <laughs> On the segment side, it's it's very similar. So we deal with medical data and uh, we deal with huge data sets. And uh, Go, I knew from my personal experience, I did several uh, hobby projects with it. And I couldn't say any bad words about this technology. On the other hand, I was kind of burned out with a lot of scripting languages where I can, you know, find my way around, but like a couple of months from where you write the script or where you write your program, the dependency hell kind of gets back to you and you have to deal with all those libraries that are missing from system to system. And on the other hand, you know, the binary coming out of Golang, I can run it now and I will be probably able to run it with no modification five years from now, which is from my perspective, great. And also. You know, building a technology for a startup, knowing that like Ramiro said the performance issues won't exist for a very long time, and scalability of the technology was made go like a you no know, natural choice.
4: Awesome, Josh. I think if I recall correctly, High Touch is using. I think you're using Go some, but I think you've used Go in the past, and I think you're mostly Node in High Touch. Is that correct?
6: Yeah, I think I'm kind of the exception here, where we're using a combination of Go and TypeScript, and we're kind of trying to figure out what the right balance is between those things. So like a lot of our core thinking logic is written in Go. A lot of our auxiliary microservices that are more like systems programming kind of things, like like deeper networking and like things like SSH tunneling, we, we use Go for those things. And then we have a pretty big integrations library. Like our business is like very integrations based. Uh, and so for those things, we, we choose TypeScript just because we need to hire like a lot of engineers on that side of things. And we kind of felt like, a, it's actually a little bit faster to write the integrations in TypeScript. A lot of the times the SDKs world we're interacting with have no SDKs, so they don't have anything for Golang. And so for various reasons, like our integration catalog is written in TypeScript. As founders, like we had a pretty long background with Go. And so like we prefer to ourselves to write it wherever possible. We came from Segment where majority of Segment was written in Go. It was also split between JavaScript and Go. And they actually had the exact same breakdown too where their integrations were written in Go. Or sorry, their integrations were written in JavaScript. And then they had the bulk of their code base written in Go. So a lot of it for us was just... We are familiar with it. We would really liked using it in the past. It's worked really well. So actually a lot of it kind of just came down to personal preference. But I think like the typical, you know, pros of Golang like really apply to us. Like the ease of deployment. It's really cool. that you can just build a static binary, throw that in like a from scratch container. And you can deploy that without any base image. Like all of those things are just like a huge, huge plus for us as well. I think on the recruiting front too, like it's it's nice for Go where I think a lot of engineers who are interested in tough distributed systems problems, people that like systems programming. Like I think... A lot of those types of programmers have a preference towards coding in Go, um, both because they want to like, learn it more and they think it's like the right tool for the job. And so that's like, another big plus of it as well.
4: So almost all of you mentioned recruiting in some way or some form, <laughs> which is interesting to me because one of the complaints I've heard is that you can't get that many Go engineers because not that many people have used it at this point. So when you guys are building a startup and using Go, how do you combat that? Is it just hire engineers who don't know Go and train them? Is it just get people with a little bit less experience? Or you know, what options are you looking at?
2: On our side, my experience is actually quite interesting. So while it's true that Golang is not as popular as other technologies, I also noticed that the community is pretty strong. And actually people who program Go seek other people who program Go because it's always nice to geek out about commonalities and you know ways to solve problems. So in our case, for the full-time employees, we actually found people who loved Go as much as I did. And uh, we have a great strong team now that basically resonate around this, the same technology. But my experience also around uh, internships was very interesting. So Segment benefited a little bit from pandemic because a lot of interns um, who were lined up with internships in the big technology companies got those internships cancelled and we decided to snap the talent out of there and basically bring them on on board with segment so we got a lot of talent from local universities here in bay area in the university circles python is the most popular but i saw that our interns took less than a week to actually master the basics of the technology and were able to like start producing valuable contributions pretty much right away. And I hope that I converted some of those uh, people, you know, to Golang permanently. So from my perspective, being able to master this technology really quickly is very important and it seemed like people didn't mind. Awesome.
5: Yeah, I think it's like the market's definitely not the easiest in terms of like finding Go engineers. However, like I think great engineers pick up languages really easily and are and language agnostic almost. I think across the like Stack Overflow surveys, et cetera, like Go is consistently on the top of the list of languages that engineers want to learn in the next uh, six to 12 months. Yeah, I think we've had a lot of luck with hiring you know, really great engineers who uh, just wanted, like didn't come from a Go background, but were interested in learning it. And because of the simplicity of the language, they're just able to pick it up and like they're deploying to production in days type things.
4: Yeah, it makes sense. So Romero, do you have anything you'd like to add?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we've gone through a very similar experience where For a certain class of engineers, the fact that we're mostly a Go um, shop was actually very appealing to them. Some of our hires were like, yes, I wanted to learn Go, and they come from like a Java uh, background or other other, um, kind of service-oriented languages, and that became a really good kind of selling point of like, hey, you get get to code in Go all day. And the other that worked really well for us is, Kubernetes is kind of our top integration point, Mm -hmm. and that code base is all Go. So the community itself is very Go driven. So that make it easier for us to kind of pick up both contributors for our open source projects as well as you know employees from that pool of like Q friendly developers who will really learn Go because of that. So that was something that kinda of ended up being kind of a very lucky, lucky for us.
6: Yeah, I think just like one thing to add is like we did think a lot about recruiting. We were thinking about languages to build things in, which is also one of the reasons why we didn't choose Go for the integrations. I didn't think we were going, we were, we were going for that target um, systems engineer, people who want to learn Go. What we look for there is more like junior developers, people that are kind of like just fresh out of college or, you know, coming from boot camps. And like those are people who are mostly interested in learning like full stack development. And so they're more interested in like JavaScript and TypeScript. Whereas like the core pipelines or application and like the more difficult systems programming problems, like it's just like a different kind of engineer on our team. And like those engineers tend to prefer to write and go than TypeScript is also just a better choice too. But yeah, we did find that most of the engineers on our team, outside the founding team, actually, that work on those types of problems, they didn't have prior experience with Go. And so just to kind of like echo what everybody else was saying here, like it's an easy language to learn. And I think because people want to learn it, the combination of those two things just makes it so that like, anybody coming in with the prior experience in systems programming, like it is a plus for recruiting, even if they didn't actually have prior experience with it. And so like that's really like one of the best things about Go is just how fast it is to pick up like a minimal working subset of it. It's easy to read too. And so if you could join a company that has a very large Go code base, it's pretty easy to hop in and kind of like learn best practices about the language because it's just so simple to parse. Whereas I feel like all the TypeScript code bases I've ever looked at are Snowflakes. And I think it's kind of hard to grok like, how should you be doing stuff? Whereas with Go, it's like a lot more standardized. And so it makes it a lot easier to learn. And I don't think you have to seek out engineers who already know Go. You can just seek out people who want to learn Go. And I think that tends to work pretty well.
4: That makes sense. I guess the next question I'd have is one of the complaints I've seen from people who are just picking up Go, especially coming from like a TypeScript or one of those languages that have all these libraries and tools out there for building anything web-related, is that they feel like they're reinventing the wheel. And with a startup, I think a, a general complaint people might have is that it might feel like it takes longer to get something shipped. Onboarding would seemingly be harder if everything is built differently, whereas if you're like a Rails shop, all Rails apps hopefully look similar, So I guess, can you guys sort of speak to that? Was that the case? Does it feel like you're reinventing the wheel or is it something where you're actually customizing what you need to customize? So like that level is right.
5: I'll talk about speed first. Like with high risk, I keep saying high risk, finance, medicine, anything where the integrity of data is key. Like speed of development is ultimately a function of ease of development, but also confidence. So you get like the speed with going, you know, getting rid of type safety etc but you lose the confidence and then you have to spend a lot of time building that confidence with unit tests etc which uh, take time to build and and time to maintain as well so I think that's a big part of it when I was learning Go as well like I I was doing Node.js as well and this was like pre-TypeScript etc as well when you do start writing in Go and especially in a startup you look at a problem and you think okay I'll just quickly like stack overflow this to see how to do this and you're like really is that it? It's like 15 lines in, and it might be like one line and something else. So there is a little bit of that, but I'd take that and the expressiveness over like the things that you lose with, with that and, and not being able to move as quickly and onboard engineers as quickly.
0: Yeah, I would like to to extend on, on what Simon says. because we, we kind of went through the same in Octetro. I think there's a a misleading kind of like boost you get at first with things like Node where you you, know, you find a library that just does exactly what you need. I like the verbosity of Go because touching on what we were saying before, kind of forces the developer to be more intentional on what they're doing. Like for instance, we wrote an NSH server for some of our internal components. And that someone had to like express very carefully what this server is doing, what it takes as an input, serialization, all those things makes it a lot easier when anybody else is looking at that code base to understand, okay, this is what's happening. This is what we're trying to do. And that as a product and as a company kind of as, as you have more people, it has this compounding effect where, sure, the first developer maybe took her an hour instead of 10 minutes, but then every other developer is not spending hours trying to figure out what is all is this library supposed to do? What is this call that's hidden here? And all that at the end pays off tremendously in just in having everybody on board quicker, understand the code base better, and be able to react and, and kind of implement on top of it as as we build new stuff. That for us has been one of the secret kind of advantages of, of building um, Octeta on Go compared to what I've done before on like Python, PHP, Java, and other other platforms. It's not going to be a secret if you're telling everybody. It's a secret I want everybody to, to grasp and then use for their own benefit too.
6: <laughs> I think it comes down to like the kind of programming that you're doing, how much the repetitiveness will, will bother you. I think if you're doing pretty complicated systems programming where you kind of do want the verbosity, you really want to think through like a lot of edge cases and Uh, there's not like a lot of repetitive programming. It's like difficult one-off kind of work. I think the verbosity of Go is actually a good thing. I think it helps you think through those edge cases and like, it's just, you can be more sure that you're actually handling all of the errors. Like I think the way they handle errors despite like the common complaints against it, it really does kind of enforce good habits that help as you scale like a large code base that has to have like very high reliability. I think in the the places where it might fall a little bit short, like I do find like CRUD for like general backend development I think you can move faster with TypeScript slash node in a way that doesn't really take detract too much from reliability or like bugginess and that kind of stuff. So I do think like there's, there's some merit to like, if you didn't have a lot of complicated systems programming going on or things like that, there's some benefits to choosing node there. At the same time, though, I think like go as parallel programming also makes it nice to do things like running background processes and even like simpler services. So that's kind of nice, but yeah, you know, I, I found like express easy to work with and like, I don't know if there's ever been something in the Go ecosystem that I think it's just, you know, a number of lines of code does the same thing. i also don't think it's like the wrong choice ever. Like even if you're adding like verbosity to it. Like i don't I think it's still for most things like worth worth choosing Go. I think for us kind of like, the exception was it was probably like for recruiting, but the other exception was like in our integrations code base. Like there's just so many lines of co- code compared to the rest of the code base. We have this like 10% that's very difficult that we chose to write in Go. And the 90% scaled out stuff we chose to write in type trips because the time savings for the velocity is actually worth saving there. It's not as critical as like that that 10%. And so it's kind of just like a trade-off of like speed versus reliability in in some sense. But I think for most startups, if you don't have this kind of like scale-out integrations problem, like if it's just general backend development or or web development, like Go should be fine.
2: Yeah, I need to second what I think Simon and uh, Ramiro mentioned. Like there is a little bit of a downside on uh, Go not having enough fancy web libraries. So for example, from Segment's experience, we are, you know, go from day zero and web authentication is something that we knew we kind of need to have some like custom build because we want to have users and groups and we have two types of users. So essentially this feature grew and I really wanted to have a library to kind of give me this functionality. But when I looked around, like there is not even in uh, other communities, other programming languages there is a readily available something that would like kind of work for us. So we would have to develop it ourselves anyway. And my experience is that if I tell the engineer, everything is in this directory, we have this source code here and just go and study it, they will do it. But when you have a huge library that is you know 100,000 lines long because it needs to encompass every single person who uses this library, the amount of like time and study that they have to put in It's just ginormous. So there is a little bit of a element of, you know, copy and paste, I guess, and redevelopment in the Go frameworks. But I feel like overall as a company who is developing something, like you want to have this understanding of the code base from, you know, point of view of software engineer and having them understand every single line of code. So we are in a weird space. We work on the medical data, which is not like a go-to, you know, solution for Go. And I, work with engineers who had to help out the external developers of the medical imaging library. And this task was always the most time consuming, the most complex, because not only you have to involve your engineer, but also the remote engineer and make sure that they both agree on what you want to get and, you know, put a lot of cases that maybe sometimes we didn't even need them, but this is an external library. So you have to, you know, encompass the whole community. And this takes so much more effort where, you know, if you are a startup, you really care about this.
4: Yeah. I think I have to agree with all of you. And for me, it's interesting that most of the time when people make those complaints, it's when they're learning the language and they build like three of the same thing. But realistically, when you're building a company, you aren't going to build a CRUD system four different times, like as you're figuring out how things work you're gonna build exactly what you want once, and then you know that's exactly what the code does. Whereas like you were saying, Adam, if you pull up a library that does authentication for everybody's use case, it's really hard to understand the code because it has to satisfy everybody's use case rather than your specific Mm -hmm. needs.
1: Linode is simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing the developers trust. Linode is our cloud of choice. We trust them, and we think you should build anything you're working on, a fun side project, or that next big infra move at work with Linode. The best part, you can get started on Linode with $100 in free credit. Get all the details at linode.com changelog or text changelog to 474747 and get instant access to that $100 in free credit. Again, linode.com changelog.
4: All right, so I guess my next question is, a lot of you mentioned that you have hired and trained people. How well did you know Go when you actually decided to build a company using Go?
6: So I would say we, know, we knew Go pretty well. My first job where I did Go was at Rancher Labs, and so they built everything in Go there from operating systems and mid systems to Kubernetes controllers, like, basically everything there was Go. So I had a pretty extensive background from there. I went to segment where we applied Go to a different domain, which was more like data processing and pipelining and that kind of stuff. So a lot of queuing and reading from Kafka and like that kind of stuff written in Go. And then my co-founders are also from Segment as well. And so we have pretty substantial background working with Go. But yeah, ever since then, like, I think we're the only ones that have worked on it prior. And then all of our new engineers since then have either like worked on just side projects with Go um, or just dabbled with it, but they've never actually worked on it professionally. So we had pretty good experience coming in. And then everybody since then is kind of new to it. Yeah,
2: I think it's similar on my side too. I guess, you know, I had the biggest amount of experience in, in Go and my co-founders kind of leaned on me on the technical decisions. So the decision about Go kind of came to naturally to me. Before I built a fair amount of bigger projects with Go, so I knew what I'm getting into. The only concern was medical space and the lack of libraries, but uh, I explored the space and I saw different companies building, you know, projects with Go, so I kind of felt comfortable because of that. And... The team expertise grew as we started to hire more people because they all brought their own little tool sets and toolboxes of little Go ideas, concepts, and now we all bridge it all together in segment. So I feel like overall, our product actually grows and develop, like, you know, evolves naturally because of having more people who know the same technology.
5: Rebank was pretty much the first production code base I'd written in Go. I'd hacked around a bit with it, but nothing beyond that. And yeah, like I mentioned before, I, I was doing Node.js primarily for the previous three or four years. Yeah, looking at the language, what, what we thought was important, I was happy with that decision. I also saw a lot of companies that were kind of similar to us and spoke to some of their engineers about why they chose to use Go, made the decision that way. I think generally it's probably not best practice to write a new like a, build a company in a language that you're not very familiar with, but it helps that Go is like, it's simple, it's easy to pick up if you have like a software background. And yeah, again, a trade-off between some maybe hiccups at the start around learning the the nuance of the language were worth the benefits to us and, and happy with that decision.
4: Yeah, whenever I was uh, prepping notes for this, I'd actually written down a little note that said, most of the time I wouldn't recommend starting a company with a language that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I actually put a little disclaimer there where like Go might be the one exception for me. Yeah. Because it's something where I feel like you, you pick up enough quick enough that it's okay yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. One of
5: very few exceptions, I think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, I've tried the same with other languages. Not, it doesn't go well. For us, It was it's a mix. Our CTO, Pablo, he used to work at Docker. And Docker is like almost 100% Go. At least like their backend and their cloud all that stuff. My experience was less intense. I did a lot of hobby projects on Go. I used to work for Atlassian and my team there was very focused on like Java and Python. But even internally, I I had a chance to build some early prototypes on Go. But what we did that kind of helped is that before starting the company, we started an open source project. That was on Go. So like probably the first year while we were working on that, that's when I got like really my intensive course on Go, best practices build, process, all that, and and that was, uh, as as everyone said, it was a lot easier to kind of grok compared to other languages, so it was a very fun experience. Also for me, it's kind of fun to learn something new as we're picking up, uh, kind of like building this idea we had for for Octet, it was fun to also find this new language to express it on. That was a part of like, for us as as technical founders. Being motivated was also an important part, especially the early days when you're trying to figure out how things should look like, Uh, you want to, keep it fun. And and for us, um, coding in Go was actually a lot of fun.
4: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess this is more directed at the people with less experience, but app structure is something that comes up a lot. It's a question that I see countless times. People say, how do I organize this web application or whatever application it is? So I guess, Adam, you had said that your team leaned on you heavily. Was this something where they had to come to you pretty frequently to ask, like, what do you suggest for structuring this? Or how did you handle that?
2: Yeah, so I gave the idea of the general structure, like how I would like to, things to look like. We also had a couple of reference uh, web applications that you know anyone can look up and find on, on GitHub. But overall, our application is, I would say, two pieces. One is the data pipeline, which is a beast in itself because it's a little different to whatever you can find out there. And uh, the web app. And the web app you know, has a usual structure of a REST API with the login interface. So through just the communication of a README file and just explaining the architecture, it was pretty clear what the building blocks are. And once you put the structure in, I think just following the structure is much easier for the engineers. And the bigger changes came when we scaled up the team, where we had to do some refactor. But these were you know cosmetic refactors that were not around changing things in a very drastic way. So I would say, even though that you don't have a usual, you know, M E V C structure in the Golang projects. Most of the people intuitively, when they got a little bit of experience in building any sort of like a more complex system, they kind of understand like what the structure should be. So of course, maybe layering is different. Everything is in like, you know, one directory and the packages are not from the day zero, but it's not that the source code cannot be refactored in like a day or two to make it more modular, more pretty and uh, split to the library. So what I like about Go is that actually suits perfectly the startup world, the functionality you need, you always needed yesterday. You can put it in and, you know, making it nice can come later. And I really appreciate it because I really don't like the frameworks where I need to study, you know, hundreds of pages of the framework documentation just to put something in because I have to follow the certain structure. So I'm kind of like a software rebel. I really like to do things, you know, the way I think they should be done. And, you know, if there is a Painful pain point where I need to like refactor it. I found refactoring in Go to be pretty easy and you know, putting things in the right places is not an issue. So I really like it.
4: Okay. Simon, I'm going to change this up a little bit. So my question for you is related, but coming into Go, things like interfaces and how you basically write more generic code, I guess, those things are different. So coming in new, was that something that was a challenge for you guys to pick up while you're
5: also building a company? I mean, it was in a sense because it is like a different model like you say but allows you to decouple uh, dependencies really nicely like once you understand how to do that in an idiomatic way and it just clicks in your head it's it's just such a nice abstraction i think and it's not the typical sort of inheritance style that you know java programmers or something might be used to but once you understand the reason for that decision it's really nice so of course learning any new pattern like that it can be a bit painful especially when you're like in a scrappy sort of prototyping phase of the company super early on. But I think once that clicks, it's been good for us. We've we've enjoyed it.
4: Yeah, that makes sense. Did you guys have to refactor stuff when that sort of did click or did you manage to get that caught up like early
5: on? I think like most companies, we've done lots of things good from the start and we're, we're still refactoring things that we're learning about now. One of the things about ReBank from, I guess, an engineering standpoint is we integrate with banks and and payment providers all over the world to abstract that into a a seamless interface for our customers. So we are constantly re-abstracting, like re-interfacing how we we do that and learning how different regions, how their bank APIs work, et cetera. So it's always an ongoing process. But once I guess the building blocks are in place and you have the engineers in place that really get how that works, it's pretty easy, to be honest.
4: That's a good thing to hear here, just because we have a lot of listeners who are relatively new to go. And I think it's useful for them to hear that even people building you know, startups and then building these bigger products still have to go back and learn things and refactor code because sometimes you'll watch a video or a course and you'll see somebody build the, the final version and you're like, man, how'd they know to do that? It's like they probably built it 17 times <laughs> before they recorded.
5: Yeah, and especially with startups, like you have to plan for that kind of change and that kind of iterative sort of lifestyle of a product. It's one of the things that I think engineers from larger companies take a little bit of time to adjust to because it is such a different style of working. I think in some ways, if you are getting something right the first time in an early stage startup, you've probably spent a little bit too much time on it. And that's what I think Go is great for. Like it gives you that confidence in this will work. This will work well enough for me to move forward. Mm -hmm. And then refactoring is not super painful afterwards.
0: Yeah, I think I wanted to extend on the refactoring. So I think that's something that doesn't get mentioned enough. And it's that the fact that Go is a compiled language makes refactoring a million times easier. In my experience, right, before, like Python and these other languages, every time you want to refactor, even something as simple as just moving a file from the util folder to its own. Mm-hmm. There's always like this concern that what's going to break, how many tests do we have to run to make sure this is not going to affect anyone, right? And with Go, you can just move things around, rename them, uh, simplify whatever, and you know that if your binary built, at least the syntax and the semantics of this change will just work. And this for us, as we go through this constant, you know, refactoring, like for us, we started with one pattern of like monorepo, single service which a of commands. Now we're kind of slowly migrating to monorepo with multiple services. Being able to move code around, make sure it works without having to worry about like months of like pre-testing and, and kind of post. It just makes things a lot easier for us as a startup, where, as Simon and Adam said, you are constantly iterating, learning of better ways of implementing certain patterns and all of those things. It's something that I'm very glad that we picked Go over something like, no, like like descriptive languages, like Node, like Python. And they're great languages. I don't want people to get the idea that, you know, everything else sucks and Go just works. It's just that for this specific scenario, Go has made our life as a startup Mm -hmm. a lot easier. I couldn't agree
5: more with, I guess, the refactoring points. When we first started, or I first started writing a lot of Go, you're like, oh, the compiler's screaming at me, and it's really annoying. But then now I'm like, yes, the compiler's <laughs> screaming at me, and I know I know exactly what I need to fix, like without mm-hmm. having to go and like, unit test like, mm-hmm. everything in a backlog. It really does help with refactoring in that sense.
4: So, Josh, you're the only one here who has the the Huge blend of, of TypeScript. How do you guys handle that sort of refactoring there? Do you notice that problem?
6: I would say, in general, types, like any type of language is going to be significantly better to refactor. And so, I think anybody going in and writing raw JavaScript these days is, is kind of crazy, except for like very small use cases. Mm-hmm. Like, startups have to iterate fast, so they're constantly rewriting stuff. And so, having types is just pretty essential because of like the rate of iteration. I think as you grow as a company, as you get your code base bigger, like you have more people editing it. I think types serve as a documentation and it makes like these like big holistic refactorings even even easier. So like, I think kind of like at all stages of, of a company, like types are just good. Like it's, I think it'd be hard to find the stage of a company where you really don't want types unless you are doing like a rapid MVP kind of thing. And then maybe it's like for those kinds of use cases. But like, even then I would probably plan on adding types back in pretty shortly after something was proven out. I think going back to like the, you know, the folder structure and interfaces and things like that. I think the pattern that I've seen like having written go at multiple companies is that, there is something kind of unstructured about the folder nature of Golang, like how you structure things and like there is a little bit of opinion there. But what I've seen is, you know, most people, they learn these patterns from a good code base and it kind of mm-hmm. serves as documentation in itself. Like rather than having to like look through documentation to find like good MVC patterns and things like that, what people do is reference just kind of example code and they tend to learn that way. And then they just have those patterns in their head and whenever they're doing something new, they just follow along with those patterns. And so I think it's like really important, like if you are, choosing Go for your company, it's pretty important to have like a foundation in place where you like have like a more experienced engineer or somebody who knows Go kind of set up like the initial repository. At Segment, we actually had a lot of microservices, like way more than we do at the small company. And so we had a generator for creating new Go microservices and it kind of just had like an opinionated folder structure off the bat, which made it a lot easier for more junior developers. It enforced like kind of a standard, even though because it wasn't enforced, like things still kind of diverged, but it was at least like a good starting point. Uh, and then to address the interface thing, I think for developers that haven't worked in one language for too long, like if you've worked in classes a lot and you're really familiar with Java, I think interfaces are kind of a big jump from that. But at least for me, I I started most of my professional programming with Go. And so I didn't have like a lot of prior context and like a lot of, you know, other ways of doing things. And so I found interfaces to be pretty intuitive. Whereas people that came from Java, I think it wasn't nearly as intuitive. But I think the other thing that I found too, is that a lot of interfaces for a code base kind of act as like an index for like the most important pieces of that code base. Like, in particular, I think if you call out, like, these are, like, the most important interfaces of our application, those tend to be, like, very self-documenting. And I think, like, you can kind of gather a lot of knowledge about how a system works just through those interfaces. I think in a way that's more clear than most other primitives, other languages have. I actually think of all the things that Go has, I would say interfaces is my favorite concept. It's just very minimalist. That's one thing that that was handled very well, and I think I appreciate in Go the most. I think TypeScript has it a little bit, too, and so I think it's a little more complicated and not quite as simple as go, but I'm kind of glad that the idea of like like a simple interface is kind of like picking up in other languages as well.
4: I have to completely agree with that because like, I think interfaces, if they're defined well, like the the main staples of your code base can be so good that the documentation is just there in the interface that tells you Mm -hmm. exactly what it's going to do and everything. And it's actually to the point where when I write implementations, sometimes I'm annoyed that it's yelling at me to, to actually document it. Because I'm like, just go look at the interface. This is where like all the real documentation is. All this really is is just like a, you know, it's using some specific technology to implement that. But realistically, that shouldn't matter right now. I don't know. It's at times I wish there was a way to just write in the doc, like instead of having those you know lint warnings, just have something that says, just go look here for this. This is just an implementation of it. Because it's sometimes you know you don't want to sit there and document every single method if it's just oh this is an implementation of X. And it's pretty boring then. All right, so next question I have is related to sort of hosting and going to production, that sort of thing. When you guys were choosing your language and and deciding to go with Go, was things like cost, performance, or even just like your hosting environment a factor? I ask about hosting environment because, weirdly enough, Matt Ryer, one of our other panelists, originally started using Go because he went to App Engine and wanted to use it. And of all the choices of languages they supported, Go was the only one that he was like, oh, I want to go learn that. And Go wasn't even a V1 at the time, but that's what got him into Go at in the first place. So I'm curious if that sort of thing had an impact on you guys. It
0: definitely had for us. One of the important things that, that we wanted to, to do with Otero was we're building a dev experience and we knew the developers, you know, they use Windows, Linux, Mac, all different architectures. And early on, as, as we kind of started building this open source project, we got a lot of people from kind of the Windows for Windows users using Octeto. So early on for us was like the fact that with Go, it was very easy to build this self-contained binaries that worked, you know, on Windows, on Linux, on Mac. Now we support x86 and ARM, all that without having to significantly alter our code base, our practices was a big driver of, of going to Go. And, and same thing on the on kind of like the API backend side where as as someone said already, you build a container. No OS, no scratch, small binary, and it just runs your API. That is, compared to anything I've done before, it makes deployment, production, reproducing issues like a lot easier. Like you can clearly tell that the early engineers of Go have gone through this problem before of like maintaining high-scale you know services, different architectures, and and they build Go in a way that it really minimizes, it really eliminates a whole class of problems. That I've had to deal before in, in previous teams and, and companies with other languages. That for me is, is another thing that, whenever I speak to um, customers or, or friends about Go, definitely that comes up as like, "Hey, we were able to support you know M1 like when New Max came out. We were able to support M1 by just adding another target to our build script. That was it. It just worked. And that's something that I don't think you can say of many other languages.
6: Yeah, I think I'm gonna echo what Ramiro said a little bit here, which is that I think it really depends a lot on like what kind of software you're either shipping or deploying. I think particularly if you're building CLIs that need to run on laptops, if you're building agents that run on servers. At my last startup, we were making software that ran on remote edge devices, things like Raspberry Pis and like you know, lower powered devices. And so having the ability to produce a very small static executable was was very nice. Something that was like low memory, low storage on disk. Like that was pretty essential. I couldn't imagine shipping anything written in TypeScript to Raspberry Pi. I mean, it could be done, but it's not the ideal thing. Whereas now, like, we're a B2B SaaS that's hosted entirely in the cloud, and we don't have any agents. We don't have anything running on laptops. And so, like, if Golang compiled binaries that were, like, five gigabytes, it wouldn't even matter to us. Like, it's, like, the advantage is not as big here. But I still do appreciate the fact that it's just kind of the default nature to ship a static binary. I think for other security reasons, like, that's pretty nice. Like, I think from scratch containers... When you can use them it's it's really beneficial because there's just like less noise in security scanners which you know it saves a lot of time investigating issues that aren't real security issues they're kind of just triggering like a security scanner and so it's kind of nice just to like turn those off blanket by using a from scratch container but yeah other than that i think go is nice but if you're shipping to the cloud you probably won't see huge benefits here like i would say it's you know above average developer experience for deploying but nothing too game-changing if you're just running everything in aws
4: I can say that that's not always true.
6: <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough too.
4: <laughs> Only because I've dealt with um, early when I was founding a startup, I, I used Heroku and Rails. And the issue we ran into was just that we had a lot of web requests coming in that basically we had to go ping other servers and wait for them. And Rails was just not good at that. And just the, the whole way Rails works is like there's one server per request and you can like spin up mm-hmm. multiple servers in a single like Heroku dino, but it's still really slow as a result. Whereas like a single $5 server could do what like 60 or 80 bucks a month was doing on Heroku with a Rails setup. And it was just one of those things where just our specific use case, because it wasn't like heavy processing, it was just waiting on stuff. So there are some cases like that where I've definitely seen, at least in my side of it, I've seen that it's like the Go stuff is much, much easier for me scaling wise. Josh, when you're talking about, or when you guys are talking about building, another case that I've seen a lot is um, on-premise stuff. So I don't know if any of you guys have to do on premise, but I've I've seen several companies that that when they're like when we have to go on premise, it's nice with Go. I've heard other startups in the past talking about like when they're shipping something on premise that's in like Ruby or Python, they're like looking for ways to obfuscate their code, which all of a sudden is a whole nother ball game. Whereas with Go, it's I don't think you really have to worry about that as much. All right, so Adam, now that I'm done talking, (laughs) sorry. When you guys were choosing Go, was performance a factor? Did like hosting or any of that stuff come into play?
2: When we started, performance was actually a factor because after doing a little bit of an evaluation, what the whole space of medical data is all about—it's actually about huge data sets. So just to give you an understanding, we deal a lot with like MR or CT data, computer tomography. So it's a lot of images, and each of these images can be like half a megabytes or up to two megabytes and there is like hundreds of them just for one exam of one patient. You know, we are talking about hundreds of millions of files. So being able to actually seamlessly do, you know, parallel processing, it's amazing when you compare it to, let's say, what you can do in Python or Ruby and fully utilize underlying hardware. So I I kind of loved it from the zero, I would say. And that was a huge factor for me. Of course, nowadays, the popular understanding of, of parallelism is that you just go distributed right away. But for this early first year, when I developed everything myself on my own laptop, I mean, being able to do it and go on your own computer, it's just the comfort of doing it is, is great. And while we didn't care that much about where we will deploy it, of course, everyone wants to just go, you know, microservices at some point. But, you know, early on, it's just EC2 instance where I spin the process and it just works for, us and does the job that, you know, we are supposed to do. So that was great. But what I would like to say is like, we actually have to be on-prem. And just like you guys said, I feel like Go with on-prem is like a match made in heaven, like not being able to do it in other technologies, I think is like a huge obstacle to overcome. And you pretty much have to, I don't know if I could do it myself, like doing it, putting everything in containers and like deploying it and like figuring out the deployment pipeline on containers. I think it's still much more sophisticated than just as you know copying the binary over SSH and just spinning it by hand. And this you can do in Go. And I think it's great because people who will use, for example, we have a CLI command that we would like our partners to use. It's a huge advantage of Go. And most of the time when it compiles on you know, Linux or Mac, I guess on Mac and on Windows, there are problems with signing those binaries, which I think we haven't yet solved. And at some point, we'll have to actually solve it. But on Linux, being able to SCP the binary and not worry about our IP leaking to our data partners, it's amazing. So I I actually loved it from the day zero. And I think that was a huge factor of me picking the technology. Yeah, not a huge
5: amount more to add. Uh, performance was definitely important for us, looking at our sort of expected use case around having to transform a lot of financial data in in, in real time, um, and thought Go was uh, was a good candidate for for dealing with that. In terms of hosting, I mean, the first version of our production environment went live like two years ago. I think the like platform support for Go by that time was was pretty well mature. We still come across a few tools, et cetera, that don't have native SDKs and we have to roll something, but it's pretty few and far between, I think, nowadays. Yeah, I think we host everything in the cloud, so there's, we don't have a huge amount of complexity there. Like Romero and others said, uh, you know, worst case, you can roll up a static binary and put that somewhere. It's, it's much more of a concern or, or a benefit, really, when you're doing on-premise, but we don't have any on-premise at the moment, at least. Yeah.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is universal code search that lets you move fast, even in big code bases. Here's CTO and co-founder, Byung Lu,
7: explaining how Sourcegraph helps you to get into that ideal state of flow in coding. The ideal state of software development is really being in that state of flow. It's that state where all the relevant context and information that you need to build whatever feature or bug that you're focused on uh, building or fixing at the moment, that's all readily Available. Now, the question is, how do you get into that state where, you know, you don't know anything about the code necessarily that you're going to modify? That's where Sourcegraph comes in. And so what you do with Sourcegraph is you you jump into Sourcegraph, it provides a single uh, portal into that universe of code. You search for the string literal, the pattern, whatever it is you're looking for. You dive right into the, the specific part of code that you want to understand. And then you have all these code navigation capabilities, jump to definition, find references that work across repository boundaries that work without having to clone the code to your local machine and set up and mess around with editor config and and all that. Everything is just designed to be seamless and to aid in that task of, you know, code spelunking or or source diving. And once you've acquired that understanding, then you can hop back in your editor, dive right back into that flow state of, hey, all the information I need is readily accessible. Let me just focus on writing the code that implements the feature or fixes the bug that I'm working on.
1: All right. Learn more at sourcegraph.com, and also check out their bi-monthly virtual series called Dev Tool Time, covering all things dev tools at sourcegraph.com/devtooltime.
4: So we're gonna go into unpopular opinions here in a moment, <laughs> but before then. If if, uh, if there are people out there who are considering building a startup with Go, is there anything any of you would like to add or any last tidbits before I jump into this unpopular stuff?
0: Just do it. Do it. If you're thinking of building a startup, uh, do it. If you (laughs) want to do it in Go, it's it's a great choice. You're not going (laughs) to regret it.
2: Yeah, I feel like there was one point in a company pretty early on where we came up with an idea Wednesday. And Thursday we had a meeting with all co-founders and pretty much... uh, you know, there was uh, software to be delivered. And basically I decided to do it in Go, which was at the time kind of a risky decision because I knew that I'm kind of on myse- by myself in there. Uh, my other co-founder is an expert in AI, uh, and I knew that like the web app development and like a service development would be all on me. And, you know, by Monday early morning, I actually pulled it off uh, with like very little problems because of just great documentation. Great support, the ability to just, just do this brutal deployment that is pretty primitive, but works and does the job. And I feel like experience of anyone starting a company with Go will be very similar. Like You can get off the ground pretty quickly, you will be a little bit frustrated because it's not maybe as easy with other tools. But long term, like when you think about having the startup for years to come, having your own source code everywhere, it's actually a great advantage.
0: Awesome. I'd like to add one more thing that is not all good is <laughs> definitely the, the one advice cuz we were kind of burned by this early on was kind of try to figure out which integrations you're going to be needing early on and figure out they have good support for go because it's not that it's not that big of an issue today but maybe 2 years ago there were a lot of very famous uh, SaaS companies with no SDKs uh, in mm-hmm. go and you had to build a lot of like rest requests by hand which was not <laughs> ideal. Now it's better mm-hmm. but still there are certain SDKs, like the Stripe one, for example, where it is a lot harder to use on Go than it is on like Ruby or or Node. So if if you're going to build something that heavily depends on, on a specific integration, do make sure that they have a first class uh, SDK for mm-hmm. for Go if you're going that route. Yeah, that's probably
4: good advice because Josh, you even mentioned that you guys are doing a lot of integrations and that that is a good reason to go with something in the JavaScript world is the, the fact that that one tends to have a lot better integrations with that and I mean, I've had that myself where I I was integrating with my own mailing list and they had nothing for Go, so I had to write it all Mm -hmm. from scratch. And you feel like you're wasting a day's work when you're doing that, but at the same time you have to get it done. Okay, so who wants to start with unpopular opinions?
0: I'll start, I'll start. <laughs> well, I guess for me, one of the kind of ones that always uh, ends up being dis- discussed in in, in Go land is that I believe that the whole not having generics is a good thing for Go and that there's only one way of doing things is really, really good. Every time there's a discussion on like introducing another way of dealing with like returns or errors, like that pattern of like if error, different than nil, then do that. I know it's repetitive, but I love it. I think going back to what I was kind of talking about early, it makes your code a lot more declarative. Intent is clearer on why you're doing things. So that is something that I hope that the people who are working right now in generics, I wish they would not do it. I think now it's a done deal. But if they do, I hope that we don't lose on this kind of like one way of doing everything. That's one thing that I love about Go, that when I was coding in Python, gave me a lot of like trouble. Is like just, you know, if there's one way of like I don't know, writing to disk, and that's great. And then everyone follows that pattern. That is something that I, I hope that sticks around for a while.
4: I feel like I could play devil's advocate here and say <laughs> that the way we currently have it without generics, I feel like leads to people using multiple generation libraries that all work a little bit differently to sort of generate types that do the things you want. Whereas one of the upsides I'm hoping of generics is that there's a lot of common data structures that just sort of we get one way of doing them, and those are hopefully in the standard library or someplace, you know, some good reliable source. And I'm hoping that sort of takes away all those. But I also completely understand your perspective of like people using generics for a lot of other stuff where they don't need to could potentially give us ten different ways to do things that really don't need ten ways to do things.
0: That's my concern. Like if you look at other other languages when you know, it's, it's always a discussion of what should be part of the standard language library, and what should be something optional people can pull. And that's where I feel like Generics is always that's kind of like, oh, do we really want this in the language? Because it's <laughs> going to make a lot of things more complicated. And, and there's a use case, of course, but it's like, do we really need it, or can we just like, I'm a big fan of copy-pasting code around. That's another unpopular opinion. I think people overestimate the value of like super simple abstract gateway code, of course, it depends on your use cases, but that's where for me it's like you yeah, just copy the structure and do it again on like other things works well a lot. Of, that's what we do internally, and it works well for like ninety percent of our of our use cases.
4: Now, I can definitely agree. Like I, I understand a lot of that sentiment is how I'll put it, where copy pasting works a lot. I guess for me it's just hard because data structures are something that I've definitely seen some where people try to implement them and and unknowingly make mistakes that they you know that would be nice to not really have there if if people had like a you know, built-in one to use. All right, Josh, do you have any un- unpopular opinions you want to share? You don't have to, so don't mean to put you on the spot.
6: <laughs> I do. I, I think my first one is that I do agree with the mentality that copying and pasting is not as bad as it is meant out to be. You know, obviously there's a limit to that and you have to know the right place of where copying and pasting is appropriate. But I think that's, that's like always been one of my classics too, is that copying and pasting is not too bad. And it aligns a lot with the ghost spirit. I would say I still do welcome the introduction of, of generics. And I hope the, culture of the Go community keeps it kind of well-scoped to places where it's really needed and doesn't just bubble up to kind of encompass a lot of things and add complexity to the language. But I'm, I'm hopeful for it, but we'll see how it goes. Other than that, you know, I think even for startups, like, the other thing I think is a little controversial that I think is having like a mixed language stack is not as bad as it seems. Like there's just always a reason to choose one language or framework or stack over another one. And a lot of times like you just have different components of a company and it just makes sense to specialize Certain components for certain things, like whether it's like the obvious choice, which is like front end and back end versus like what we're doing, which is like I think scaling out integrations is a very different engineering problem than getting our core syncing logic correct and our data pipelines correct. Like there's a cost to having like you know two definitions of everything. And I wish there was better solutions for that, but overall, I think if you have a problem where it makes sense to split your tech stack in two, like it's generally worth it, especially since like if you're a startup, you probably have like more senior engineers and people who are like capable of more unstructured work and complexity and so they're kind of able to hop around between different languages like we even have Python in a few places now just because there are SDKs that are so much better in Python and it's like the interop's kind of a pain but as long as those like interop points are pretty clean and there's like a way that you can separate out these different services and tech stacks like I think it can actually accelerate things I think there's oftentimes a bit too much emphasis on like standardization across things like for like bigger companies too I think it kind of works where like different teams use different deployment processes different hosting providers like I think it's kind of worth the speed versus standardization trade-off to have these like mixed tech stacks. And I think there's a little bit too much of an emphasis on standardization across things and obviously like it's all context dependent, but I think in general in in tech stacks for startups people tend to focus too much on standardization versus like best in class approaches.
4: The one thing I'd like to point out is that you did mention that usually senior engineers or more experienced engineers start, like do really well in that environment. I, I guess my only caveat to that would be I feel like a team with a lot of junior engineers might struggle with that. I guess it depends on how you classify a junior engineer. Yeah. But I've talked to a lot of people who are like learning to program and are relatively new in their journey, and I feel like when they try to learn uh, like a Go API with like a JSON, or, you know, a, a JSON front end of some sort, or not JSON JavaScript front end of some sort, using like a REST API of something like, and you mm-hmm. combine all that together, all of a sudden there's just too much thrown all, at them all at once, and like the context switching is hard and just understanding all of it go together. Whereas like in your case if you have engineers who understand the separation and how the communication works, you can switch back and forth. I will say that parentheses for like if statements is a pain in the butt when you're going from JavaScript to go <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's about it that that's my biggest complaint that and I I, I hate three equal signs, but
0: that's
4: I've had to write more JavaScript recently and I, I love it for certain things, but I definitely it takes me a minute before my brain switches when I'm going back and forth, and sometimes my brain's just like, "No, we don't want to do that
0: right now." <laughs> no. That script helps a lot. That that's a huge improvement on, on JavaScript. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I I recommend anyway.
4: It's something that I've wanted to put some time into, and I like Josh. You kind of cheated because I couldn't beat you up for using JavaScript because you're <laughs> <I'm> using TypeScript. <laughs> but unfortunately, like I haven't had time to actually sit down and learn some TypeScript. So I think it would actually resolve a lot of the things that I sort of you know, don't love about JavaScript, but I've just never had the time to sit down and actually look at it. Adam, any unpopular opinions you'd like to discuss, debate?
2: Yeah, I guess my first unpopular opinion is like there is a lot of pressure to open a lot of source code that you are working on. People talk about open sourcing and like a lot of engineers who join early on, like think about open sourcing. But I feel like making an assumption that some pieces won't ever be open-sourced even though that they are like a little silly and you could because there is no secret sauce in there, kind of makes you put pressure where you probably shouldn't be putting pressure on. Like you spend more time because you want the quality to be mm-hmm. very, very high or you want the documentation to be perfect and pristine clean. Uh, but there is no business value. And uh, so what I encourage all the engineers to do is actually develop like a little toolbox, tool set of your own routines that you can shamelessly, you know, copy. Of course, with all the respect of like IP. So I guess it's from the engineer to the company, <laughs> but not the other way around. <laughs> but uh, but overall, you know, engineers don't like to re- redo things over and over. And like having this toolbox, I've noticed that I have a couple of my own repositories that are pretty much like a junkyard that I copy and paste from. It's tremendous speed up in the development process and it helps me out get up and running much faster than otherwise. And I guess, another unpopular opinion that i have is i focused quite a bit early on on deployment side of things i was wondering what is the golang of deployment how can i do the deployment like in a really quick way and the very interesting thing that i discovered is that when you go and read a lot of tutorials and documentation and blog posts and and github projects is that the topic of deployment is kind of ignored like people who deploy to Heroku, they deploy to Heroku, or people who do, let's say, on AWS, they have some configuration files. But to be honest, other apps, I don't know how to deploy them. So when I compare it to my experience like 20 years ago, when I originally started on like Slackware, Linux, and PHP, I must say that the PHP so far is like the easiest deployment I have ever seen. You just copy the files to the server and it just works. So I kind of miss that the Go kind of ignore the deployment aspect, and I wish maybe in like, I don't know, go to point twenty or something, the go command will actually have like a little deployment service that you can just copy the binary there and the, you know, the tool will take care of restarting the service, monitoring it, reporting it, you know, sending messages back to you, taking care of the logs, because right now it's just, you have to redo this again, if you are deploying, just like we do to EC2 or like an on-prem service.
4: I'm curious if the go-in-bed stuff that just came out will help with that in some ways. Because one of the ways I deployed it, was like a really small app that I did, but one of the ways I deployed it was I actually, I used like a third-party library at the time, but I embedded assets and everything Mm -hmm. all into just one binary that I could build locally for the target and just upload the file to the server and then tell it to restart. And it was like the easiest deployment process I've ever Mm -hmm. had. And like, aside from PHP, like you said, which was always... Especially when you were first learning, that was just magic because you were just like, I just open up this FTP server and just start mm-hmm. editing files. But then that probably also had bad habits of I'm going to live edit files on the server because
5: <laughs> I'm learning. We've all done it.
2: Never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when you look at Europe, actually, the popularity of PHP in Europe is huge. And what I appreciate in PHP is like they never gave up. They kept pushing, pushing this technology further until I think there was like a breakthrough when like Facebook re- uh, made this compiled version of PHP and they said, okay, we need to compete with Facebook. So the, the performance caught up. So like, if you have an app written in 20 years ago, I kind of feel like with some minor changes, it probably still is up and running, which is great. And I think Go is great because they made this promise that everything will be like, you know, the backward compatibility will be there always. So I kind of feel like, uh, you know, the de- solving the deployment would be like the great improvement.
0: Yeah, I think embedded is a good detection. In the .NET world, they have this idea, and it's has from some windows of like the X copy deployment, of just one binary, drop it in your server, it just works. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see more more go in, in that, I think. We just move a bunch of things to embed it, and, and that simplify our Docker mm-hmm. build. Now it's like, you don't have to add all these files, you just copy the binary. So that'd be great, like a, like a way to just kind of run the binary.
4: I will warn you that... I don't know how Go in Bed works, but I know that the uh, the library I was using, the only issue I ever ran into was if I had too many images, it would like the amount of RAM that it would use would like bloom up really huge because it would have all these <laughs> things loaded in memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was running on like a $5 DigitalOcean server at the time and I actually I uploaded a couple images that were like massive resolution, I forgot to downscale them, and then all of a sudden it started uh, uh, crashing yeah. because of that.
7: <laughs> and then when I realized
4: it I fixed it, but it was just like, a, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Like I had like like 30 gig files that are or not gig, like 30 meg files, a bunch of them I was uploading. I was like, oh, I didn't want that.
0: Yeah. yeah, we should check. I think that was just text files for our emails, like our email <laughs> templates. So it should yeah. be fine, but I'm going to double check on that. That's a good tip. Yeah.
4: Templates are a really common one. And they're ones that I've <laughs> seen people get confused with where it works locally and then they deploy it. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. And they're like, mm-hmm. why isn't this working? And it's it's a confusing thing because you, you don't really
5: understand that those files don't get built in there.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Simon. I mean, I hope this one isn't that controversial. I don't think it should be, obviously. But TDD is not a good thing for startups. It's mine. So I think the more you spend time in an early stage startup, the more you realize the only real thing that is differentiating you between success and failure is your ability to iterate and and subsequently move fast enough. TDD adds a lot of overhead and there are, I think, easier ways to reliably test your code at the early stages of a, of a project that don't have such huge amounts of overhead. Partly why I like Go because the very strict type safety adds like a layer of testing in a way. There's lots you can, just can't get away with. So I try and like research and argue against my own opinions and I, do, I did this quite recently with this and everything I read that says TDD is great for startups, early stage startups, is written by engineers who have either never founded a startup and have usually actually never worked in a startup either. Like it's a very engineer – like the engineer in me is like TDD is great. The founder in me is like it's not a good thing uh, for, for early stage companies at least.
4: I feel like here's where we put a little – if you want to check out banking for your business, go to rebanknow.com. Or yeah. <laughs> <A little prank laughs> they, they don't practice TDD. I'm just kidding. Yeah.
5: No, no. But this, yeah, but that's, that's a good point. It's like that doesn't mean – because it's not binary, it's, it shouldn't be like test everything with TDD and test nothing. Like you have to be pragmatic and you have to identify, okay, what are the highest risk workflows or activities that my app is doing? And you should test those. Maybe you do apply TDD to those high risk workflows, but you don't do it as a default behavior, I think is the point.
4: I definitely can't disagree with you because I don't like TDD in general. Like I use it for (laughs) some things, Yeah. but like to me, TDDs only really fit well when it's like small, simple functions that you like, you have an input and an output and it's really easy to test those. In other cases, I'm much more productive writing code, you know, testing it in other ways, but then I might occasionally write tests for it still. Like in a lot of code, I'll write tests for it. But it's not TDD and it's definitely not like the same process that is often pitched by these people who write, you know, like you said, these articles or whatever, that it's like you need to do TDD. And I agree with you, especially in a startup. It's hard to like build a startup when you're spending 30% of your time or more potentially writing tests and not actually like getting things out the door that you might throw away in a week because you realize it wasn't what you needed.
5: Yeah, I think that's a Something that a lot of first-time founders or, or early first-time early employees at a startup don't realize is that you are in a, in a state of flux and prototyping and, and trial and error with how something is going to serve customers or not, and so you do end up having to like you know best case scenario do huge refactoring and worst case scenario just throw code out, and so the overhead on that is so much more painful when. Like you're throwing things away that you you did TDD on because it's just the cost of doing that is so high.
0: Yeah, that was a big adjustment that I had to go through of like exactly what you said of like TDD engineering me, yeah. especially coming you know before startups from big companies. And it was like a, a discussion I had with our CTO uh, often of like how much should we be investing. I was always trying to err on the side of more tests, but he kind of shared the same opinion you have, Simon, like it slows you down at a time where you don't know if what you're building makes sense. It's, there's gonna be a commercial aspect to it. I think there are other ways of, of doing, as you said, more like customer-centric testing yeah. to make sure the scenarios work, yeah. but not necessarily this 100% code coverage, every single line is tested, every variation is tested. Yeah. That's something that, it's one of the most interesting challenges I've seen in myself and, and when we hire of engineers coming from big companies yeah. or from more established comp- products in startups to like early stage. Yeah.
4: The absolutes, like you said, is a, is a big part of it where it's not all or nothing. It's not like, Oh, we're either doing TDD or we're doing absolutely no testing whatsoever and shipping to everybody. You can do yeah. small steps that sort of like, we're going to do one customer and see how this works. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a much more narrow scope of potential problems. Yeah, and then yeah. you can always add tests later when you're like, this is definitely what we want.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, that's part of my concern generally with TDD is that it's very, um, yeah, it is very absolute. Like, if you do TDD, you have to test every single function that you write to be doing like TDD properly. And that's just, it's not very pragmatic. It's not high value either. That's huge overhead.
4: it. This probably relates some to, Adam, was it you that mentioned the uh, open source stuff, where I feel like <laughs> when people are writing something they plan to open source, they kind of think I've got to test everything. And I've actually done this myself, where when I open source something, the tests are... Not always, but most of the time there's much better tests on an open source project than than (laughs) what I actually keep internally. Because what I need to satisfy myself is not necessarily what I think everybody else might want in all projects.
2: Right. Of course, uh, you know, the challenge of contributing also to open source is that if you hit the projects with these really um, high requirements, also the contributing to the project like that it's you know very hard like you have to really allocate time and it stops being a contribution it almost starts to be like a full time work it gives of course a lot of appreciation and i think uh, it's great that some projects are like that but for startup just like simon said there is not always a time to do it like we would rather be producing the value than making sure that this test is like 99% tested like i'm okay with crashing the te- you know the product if it's in the process of, of adding the value to the customer, at the end of the day, the customer is like who kind of pays us. So, of course, this won't work when we are hungry people and everything <laughs> needs to be tested, but we are you know, 12 people now. So, so it's very different also from the size of the company. And in the past, for example, I worked for Xilinx where you know, we make the silicon cheap. And if you need three weeks to think of a function to make it pristine, clean and perfect, just go ahead and do it. Don't even ask about it because the quality matters so much. At the end of the day, it's going to be fabbed out. And if you have a mistake there, it's going to be millions of dollars of losses. And in a startup it's very different. You may lose a customer, but you still can, you know, wiggle out of the problems and try to mitigate all the issues that you have in the source in the service code.
4: Alright, so Thank you for that, Adam. And thank you, Simon, Josh, Ramiro. I think we are out of time, but everybody thank you for listening in to GoTime. If you guys have any questions or want to talk to any of these founders, you guys are all on Twitter, so I'll make sure your Twitter handles are also in the episode. Feel free to reach out to them, ask them some questions. They've all got lots of experience building these startups with Go, and I'm sure
3: they'd be happy to help. Thank you for listening to GoTime. If you enjoy the show, please do share it with a friend. Personal recommendations are the number one way people find new podcasts they love. And of course, subscribe if you haven't yet. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're pretty much everywhere. You can also check out the back catalog of awesome episodes at gotime.fm. There you'll find our recommended episodes, plus listener favorites, and you can even request your own guest or topic go time is produced by jared santo with music by breakmaster cylinder thanks again to our awesome sponsors fastly launch darkly and of course linode next time on go time angelica hill returns as your mc with a panel of friends to discuss what makes wonderful workshops stay tuned for that one it'll be hitting your podcast app next week